Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on The Rundown. Okay, welcome everyone to episode 12 of the Rust Belt Rundown. I'm your host, Paul O'Connor, and on this episode, we are joined by Justin Bibb, Chief Strategy Officer at Urban Nova and the newest candidate for Mayor of Cleveland. Justin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Paul. Uh, happy to be here with you today. Yeah, we're excited to talk. Um, you know, we, we'll, we'll try to, uh, we got a lot of good questions for you, so um, this is going to be a really good episode, but um you know, welcome again. So let's get started. So at a young age, we always like to give our guests opportunity to kind of go back to how it all started and, and um, you know, where you came from, why you do what you do. And so, yeah. you know, first and foremost, you already have a absurdly professional journey and resume. Um, and one that it usually takes others an entire career to put together. Um, so if you looked at your experience on paper, it, it would appear um, that you've known where you were going, right? And, and what you were targeting since you graduated high school. Is, is that true? I, a little bit, you know, uh, I think my, my first career ambition, uh, because I, I grew up in the church was to be uh, a pastor. Uh, and quickly realized that that was not in the cards for me. And then my, my, my next love after that was basketball. Okay. Uh, my dream was to play D1 basketball at Duke. Uh, oh, man, I knew we were going to get along. I know. And quickly realized that um, uh, I, was next, I was not going to be the next LeBron James. And okay. so uh, a, a funny story about that, you know, I was, um, you know, I went to high school at Trinity High School in Garfield Heights, born and raised. In Mount Pleasant, southeast side of the city, uh, on 121st and Dove, uh, and it was my sophomore year of high school. Uh, I was actually dunking my sophomore year of high school. Love it. Playing Garfield Heights High School uh, uh, on the J. I was on the JV squad. I went up for a rebound and tore my meniscus. Mm. And um, my mom, the following week, we were going to practice. I was trying to rehab the knee, and she vividly told me. She said, Justin. Um, and I'm going to censor this uh, for our audience, but she says, Justin, you are not the next LeBron James. You need, <laughs> you need to get in your books and figure something else out. Um, and, you know, my mom's a social worker. My dad was a cop and a firefighter. And public service has really been in my DNA since I was a young kid. And so um, I got my early start and, and early interest in getting involved in politics as a junior in high school when I first worked on the West Clark for, uh, for President campaign as a volunteer and then volunteer for the Kerry campaign, uh, got the bug, wanted to go to school in DC and I guess the rest is history. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, that answers the question. I mean, that led you to public service. I did want to ask too about your 2012 Ted talk where you yeah. mentioned that your, your grandmother was um, some of your inspiration for public service. Tell us about that and, and how she inspired you. You know, my, my grandma who, who just turned uh, 91 this year. Uh, wow. Good you know, for I her. Get, I get, yeah, yeah. And she, she still has a, a lot of energy. And, you know, she just uh, barbecued a full slab of ribs on New Year's Day. I'm yes. like, Grandma, I don't know, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> uh, but, but she's a fighter. And, you know, I vividly remember uh, her organizing uh, our city councilman at the time, the local ministers, uh, the, the local police commander, 
they were all sitting in our living room couch and she still has the plastic on her couch. So uh, serving tea and coffee and just talking about how do we figure out a way to make our block safer for her Mm -hmm. grandkids to play. Uh, And, you know, she organized uh, summer gardening clubs for me to to go to uh, during the summertime, make sure I was going to vacation Bible school. Um, And and back then, you know, um, if I was acting up, my neighbor down the street was going to tell my grandma or my mom. Yep. And, you know, it was, it my was raised, was, raised by committee. Exactly. Exactly. And it, and it truly does take a village. Yep. And it, when the streetlights came on, I had to make sure I was in the house. And, you know, uh, looking back on those memories, um, you didn't really realize how um, disadvantaged or poor off we were because there was so much love mm-hmm. and so much community in, in our neighborhood. Uh, and that TED talk was really about the importance of neighbors working together to make communities stronger and safer and more resilient. And I believe that's a fundamental value that we need in our city now more than ever right here in Cleveland. Yep. I love it. Well, we're, we're going to get into a little bit uh, of what we need uh, yeah. as, a, as a city, state, country, uh, nation, world. So um, I appreciate that. But let's take a step back before we do that. Focus on your education. Um, you have both an MBA and a JD. You studied at uh, the prestigious London School of Economics. I mean, tell us about how this all fit together to set up your career for the most success. You know, um, when I made the decision to go to college in DC at American University, uh, my mom told me something very uh, explicit. She says, your world extends beyond your block. Mm-hmm. And during my first years of college, you know, I got immersed in DC life. I interned on Capitol Hill my first year, uh, started doing community organizing in Southeast DC, which at the time in Anacostia was one of the most disadvantaged neighborhoods in America. Um, it had some of the highest rates of high school dropout, uh, had some of the, also the highest rates of HIV and AIDS that rival third mm-hmm. world countries. Um, and in that organizing work, I saw a lot of kids who looked like me, who came from the same backgrounds that I came from. But what struck me was, you know, you could see the, the Capitol uh, right uh, a few blocks away, but yet there was so much inequity um, and a lack of hope and a lack of opportunity. And so it's, it's that, that's when I think the light bulb went off for me that I wanted to dedicate my professional and educational career to understanding how to make cities better. And so, um, you know, I was lucky to get a scholarship uh, to study at LSC for a year. And I didn't know uh, a, a darn thing about global finance. Uh, and my, my knowledge of uh, uh, economics was purely from just doing mac- a macro and micro my freshman year of college. That's where I'm and, still at. That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're studying uh, supply side versus Canadian economics, <laughs> the Laffer curve. I know I'm geeking out here for a little bit, but... Um, I vividly remember, you know, I get to LSC, um, I'm in a global international economy class, and this is at the, the height of the 2008 Democratic uh, presidential primaries, uh, and it was right before the Iowa caucus, and we were having a conversation about free trade, uh, and, I, you know, to my right was the daughter of the Secretary of State of Monaco, and to my left was the uh, son of a, 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 a major emirate a business leader from uh, the Middle East. Wow. And they're, they're, they're criticizing me and my viewpoint on free trade and NAFTA and the Doha round of trade talks. And it was in that moment that I realized that 
while I truly believe that all politics is local, everything is interconnected. Mm-hmm. So the ability to export goods and products and services from a Cleveland to uh, uh, an India uh, is all in, in, in impacted by, you know, international uh, economic policy, right? And, you know, cities are interconnect, interconnected in a global economy. And they just, you know, made me think more differently about the importance of having a global perspective as we think about some of these problems and just uh, also allowed me to really test some of my assumptions on how to get things done as a leader. I love it. Uh, you, you mentioned um, your ability to then think differently. Throughout your career, you've held a, a lot of high-level advisory and strategic roles. Not everybody not only gets to that level, but can do that. Because I really do truly believe that's just a completely different part of the brain. Um, it's yeah. not necessarily every day, like in the trenches, although it can be, and tactical and tasks. It's a lot more high-level When did you know or how did you come about to where you said, huh, this is actually how I think this. I actually really enjoy this part of it instead of maybe necessarily like truly. And and you mentioned it like in D.C., you did it on the ground work. Like when did that happen? And when did you know, hmm, I'm I'm, going to go forth trying to uh, tackle these types of roles? Paul, to be honest with you, I kind of fell into it. Um, Hmm. It wasn't kind of a thought out process for me. Um, it was 2008. I was a, a junior uh, in college at the time, right uh, at the heart and in the start of, of the Great Recession. Many of my peers uh, had a hard time finding a job. And luckily, uh, a buddy from mine from Cleveland was getting an award uh, at Gallup, uh, which had their headquarters in Chinatown in D.C. Uh, and the chairman and CEO of Gallup, who was still the chairman and CEO, who was a dear friend and mentor uh, to me, uh, Jim Clifton, uh, gave a speech on entrepreneurship and the future of cities. And mind you, I was an urban studies major. And so I thought I'd graduate college, work on Capitol Hill, work on a campaign, uh, and, and, and really kind of get involved in the nonprofit or public sector earlier on in my career. So I go to the, the CEO of Gallup and I said, you know, Mr. Clifton, my name is Justin Bibb. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I want to be a social entrepreneur and change Cleveland one day. Can you help me out? He says, absolutely, yes. So he sends me a book on uh, the meaning of what it means to be a great social entrepreneur. I read the book that night. We have a meeting. Wow. Um, and he offers me an internship on the spot. Uh, and I had an offer uh, going into my senior year when many of my peers could, could, couldn't really find a job yep. at, at the height of the Great Recession. And so that's how I got my start uh, in strategy. Uh, and I got promoted to be one of the youngest associate partners in the firm. I was 21 at the time wow. when I got that job. Um, and I remember uh, Jim told me on my first day, he says, your job is to go out and find a million dollars of revenue and build your own business. Good luck. <laughs> right? So I'm like, okay. Yeah. And, you know, my, and, and, you know, my dad was a cop and a fireman. My mom's a social worker. No one in my family had ever really worked in the private sector. I knew anything about business, but um, I knew I had to find a good suit and a briefcase and show up and figure it out. And, and that's what I did. And I guess the rest is history from there, Paul. There's, there's a lot of uh, beauty in those three. Figure it out. There's a lot of beauty. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, um, yeah. a lot of positive in that. Um, okay. So the, for the people that are unfamiliar, tell us about Urban Nova. Um, tell us about the yeah. type of work you do, um, the businesses you work with, governments and cities, all that good stuff. So Urban Nova, we are an uh, urban innovation startup that really focuses on how to use data and technology 
to help mid-sized cities become more safer, more resilient, and more equitable. And so, you know, we really got our start in Spokane, Washington, where we're headquartered to really help the city of Spokane think differently about um, renewable energy uh, and air quality. Uh, we actually were a key partner in building an innovation district right in the heart of the city of Spokane. And in that district, we started to pilot some really cool projects. One project we, we did was we worked with ITRON to put air sensors uh, in all of the streetlights in this innovation district. Hmm. And part of the innovation district is actually located in a historically underserved neighborhood uh, in the East Central neighborhood, which um, has, a, has a deep legacy of redlining uh, that we continue to see some of those effects right now in 2021. And so in this pilot, we were able to come up with some very cool interventions around how we address environmental justice using technology, but also organizing with residents to identify what are the tangible ways we can use this technology to solve some of these environmental justice issues around air quality. So it's that model of bringing together the city, um, technology providers and community organizations and residents together to solve these very nuanced, challenging problems that undermine a city's success that we're trying to scale across the US. And you know, since the pandemic of COVID-19, we've seen a, a huge demand in our work uh, because cities are now grappling with how do we still deliver basic city services? Yep. Uh, uh, and how do we do that in a way that can be safe, efficient, reliable, but really leverage the digital uh, uh, te technological tools we need to do that. And so we're really excited about our work. And, we, and I believe that mid-sized cities like Spokane and like Cleveland are the future of America's economic recovery as we think about what a post-COVID world looks like. Yep. I'm, I'm happy you mentioned that because that actually was a, a question I had. Is, is the plan to go and be in 25 cities in 10, 15 years? I mean, is that the plan? That, that's the goal. I mean, we are a small army of uh, four uh, employees right now. We have a great board. We have some great partners with Verizon, Itron, and Avista, and a host of others. But we believe that you know we have a, a strong blueprint uh, and a business case to make to other mid-sized cities across the country on how to use these technologies and new community engagement tools to solve some of these uh, age-old problems. Got it. Okay. Um, okay. So let, we'll, we'll jump into politics a little bit. Um, yeah. how, how do you look at a young Midwest mayor like Pete Buttigieg and see a similar opportunity for that kind of leadership in Cleveland? Um, we can, I want to get into his, his Smart Streets initiative, but has he been a, a motivating factor for you at all? Yeah, I mean, you know, through my time at Gallup, uh, where I helped start and manage our global cities practice, I was able to kind of see a lot of mayors from across the country and how they conducted business and used technology and, and used resident voice as tools to really drive systemic change. Um, you know, uh, I look at a guy like Mayor Steve Benjamin, the former president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. Uh, he's been a leader in understanding the importance of racial equity uh, and also connecting that to the business case around how do you have smarter, more resilient, healthier cities. Uh, you look at um, uh, what the mayor of Miami is doing right now in terms of attracting new venture capital investment uh, to Miami. And the way that he's been able to get so much attention was he's been on Twitter and just saying, how can I help? Right. And, you know, talk about leveraging the moment right now where you're going to see an exodus of talent, I believe, from New York and Silicon Valley to other emerging cities um, uh, like in Miami. Now, 
don't get me wrong, uh, Florida has a, a, a very um, uh, creative tax uh, structure that allows them to attract some investment. And Miami has some pretty good weather uh, in, as a competitive advantage too. So it's not that hard of a sell, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, the, it's the tenant of how can I help? Yeah. Um, and, and when you're chief executive of, of a city, I think especially when the war for talent and the war for investment uh, is so competitive, it takes those um, hands-on approaches to really drive that kind of change that we need in terms of leadership. And I think Mayor Buttigieg, who's going to do, I think, a, a great job as Secretary of Transportation and yep. Mayor uh, Suarez in Miami and a host of others, I think, are great role models for Cleveland to take a look at. Yep, for sure. Um, what type of initiatives are you currently working on in Cleveland? Um, and, and, and even throughout your career, right? I mean, maybe yeah. some type of boards that you sit on. What, talk about some of the work that you've been doing in, in Cleveland. Well, the, the work that I'm uh, really proud of is the work that I've been doing as a member of uh, the Greater Cleveland Regional Transit Authority. I've been on the board uh, since October of 2018, and I joined the board right in the middle of a major corruption scandal. Uh, there was a lack of morale, uh, a lack of trust from the public. And, you know, I'm the youngest member of that board, and I came in uh, trying to really leverage, you know, the learnings I've been able to take from my career and working with other cities across the country to identify how can RTA really become a leader in technology innovation in the region. And so we created, um, through my leadership, an ad hoc technology innovation committee where we have worked to deploy Wi-Fi on every bus and train across the city. Uh, we're also uh, looking to bring on a new uh, chief innovation officer to really modernize the entire enterprise uh, and how can RTA use better, use data and analytics and technology to improve the rider experience and then lastly, we just approved putting body cameras uh, on all of our transit police officers to make sure that we Good. have accountable, respectable Good. policing inside uh, the, the current uh, transit uh, police forces. And so it's those, um, I think, basic policy and initiatives that we've been prioritizing that I'm really proud of. And, and the one small thing we did right before COVID-19 hit, you know, um, I've been very keen on thinking about how we engage the public. Mm -hmm. um, and public comment is a very controversial topic in Cleveland because right now in our own city council, uh, members of the public can't come to a city council meeting and talk at a major city council meeting uh, during public comment. There's no current public comment right now, uh, which is a travesty in my, in my opinion and very anti-democratic. So what we did right before COVID-19 hit, uh, and we didn't know this was going to happen, but we piloted live streaming our board meetings. Uh, and in our, I believe with in our comments, first, people could with, comment. Yeah, with comments. All right. You could, you could type and email your comment or call in. And we had you know, over 1,300 folks dial in the first time we, we live stream a board meeting. And we've been doing that ever since COVID 19. And so it's that kind of um, model of being agile and nimble and how you can use a very low technology to do that to garner more public trust. And we still got a long way to go at RTA, but I think we're all doing all the right things and moving in a better direction. In terms of um, a lot of the things you just mentioned, where is Cleveland ahead of other cities and as well as behind other cities? And, and why, why is that? I mean, I think you mentioned a really good one. I mean, no public comment. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd say one, we have a very strong healthcare industry um, in, in Northeast Ohio. Uh, but you know, we still have yet to figure out how we can leverage the strong assets of having a best-in-class healthcare industry, but also 
you know, we, we got a lot of work to do to tackle some of the health disparities that exist as it relates to access to clean air, as it relates to the, you know, dramatic rates of infant mortality, especially among black women in our city. Um, it should not be the status quo that we have the Cleveland Clinic and UH and Metro and others, but yet a stone's throw in those surrounding neighborhoods, your zip code determines your own, um, you know, economic and personal destiny. Yep. That is un-American in my opinion. Yep. Um, we also have a strong legacy of uh, manufacturing and advanced manufacturing. And I think one thing you're gonna see um, as a result of COVID-19 is more onshoring where we're gonna see more supply chains being focused in the United States. And I think Cleveland can be uh, a, a huge um, benefactor of more onshoring by leveraging our, our strong um, legacy in advanced manufacturing. And then I'll also say, you know, we have a, a strong legacy of philanthropy in Cleveland, uh, home of the first uh, community foundation, the Cleveland Foundation, Dund, and others do a lot of great work in our community. And I'm just so keen to figure out how do we leverage the, the budgets uh, and the resources of all these foundations and marry those with the, the budget of everything the city does and the county does yep. to think about how we can really tackle some of these big problems together. And I think by better connecting those dots, we could see a more prosperous region and a more prosperous city in the future. Yep. Um, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not saying anything that uh, isn't obvious to everyone. 2020 has been uh, probably yes. the worst year in most people's lives, if not everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and while there's been a lot of negative, I want to ask you, what have been some of the positive civic changes that you've seen in Cleveland? And what do you think some opportunities that arose that we may see in 2021 and, and beyond? You know, I think collectively as a community, we are starting to reckon with our sense of complacency. Hmm. You know, I, I gave a talk to uh, the WICA uh, a couple months ago, and I talked about, you know, we've had the pandemic of COVID, the pandemic of uh, racial uh, inequity, uh, and also I think in Cleveland, the pandemic of complacency. Hmm. You know, uh, we don't have a sense of urgency in this community. But I believe that the, the moment we're in requires that sense of urgency. And I think everyone is starting to reckon with this, this notion that for us to truly meet the moment, we need to have a better sense of urgency to tackle some of these age-old problems. And I also would say, uh, you know, I was really amazed by the great work that the Cleveland Foundation and others did with the COVID-19 rapid response funds, being able to bring people together fast and deploy capital to make sure that the food bank and other key stakeholders in our community had what they need uh, to survive uh, when COVID-19 hit. Uh, I've also been just so inspired by the everyday heroes and sheroes in our community um, that have stepped up uh, with, without a lot of fanfare and with limited resources. Uh, I look at you know, a dear friend of mine, Chanel smith Wigan, who helped to lead the Mask for Community Initiative, which helped to you know, give 75,000 masks to residents in East Cleveland and in, in, in Cleveland who needed them the most. Um, and it's that kind of local innovation, that kind of grassroots organizing that we need in every facet of our community life. Because, you know, I'm a big believer in government, but I don't believe in big government or small government. I believe in smart government and government can't solve all these problems alone. But, you know, government can be a conduit and a collaborative and, and, and a vehicle to help solve some of these problems. 
but we got to do a better job of elevating the the voices like my grandma like you know uh, chanel and others who are doing the hard work to make our city better uh, for the future i got a feeling um in a couple months that we're going to be hearing that on a big stage. No, no big government, no small government, smart government. I love it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Okay. So speaking of voices in 2019, you played a major part in hosting an event called the Cleveland rising summit. Can you tell us about that event and, and what was, what made you start it? What, tell us about that event. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was uh, invited uh, to be a co-host uh, due to my role at key bank. Um, I was the, one of the youngest uh, co-host uh, to help organize the summit. I would say it was a really great attempt to connect the grassroots and the grass tops. Uh, we were able to convene uh, hundreds of people to have a conversation about what the future of our region should look like. Many of the teams that were formed during the summit are still working on issues like free transit, which I've begun to champion uh, through, my, through my leadership at RTA. I would also say this, uh, we also took, had a lot of positive um, uh, and, and critical feedback that I think are lessons for the entire community. Number one, um, we have to do a better job of meeting people where they are. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, that needs to be a mandate, not only from government, but also from the private and nonprofit sector. We have to stop um, organizing and, you know, crafting plans in siloed boardrooms and do a better job of organizing plans for people uh, in their homes in their living rooms and on street corners. Yep. We don't do a good job of that in Cleveland. And it's, you know, one of the reasons why um, I'm running for mayor is because I think we need leadership by City Hall that can be that conduit to connect the grassroots and the grass tops. I would say, secondly, the other thing I, I discovered through, through my leadership at Cleveland Rising is that generationally, there is a tremendous amount of change happening in terms of how we engage community. Um, you know, you know, the, 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 the leadership of the African-American community is not monolithic, nor is the leadership of the Latino community. Um, and I think in the old way of Cleveland, there were four people you went to that, you know, had the interest of the black community or the Latino community. Um, and now I think that there are leaders from every generation that can speak for our most underserved uh, communities, particularly communities of color. And I don't think the leadership in this community understands that nuance. Yep. And there's a change happening that we need to better understand and better tap into because um, there are voices that have, we have not engaged that need to have a seat at the table because if we don't engage them, we're not going to, we're not going to be able to solve some of these problems. And, and that, that may I speak it, to your issue of complacency, right? I mean, yeah, if people yeah. do try and try and try and they're not heard, well, then they do, yeah. you know, unfortunately. So what is the reaction? It's well, Forget it. Yeah, and you know, we I, I personally got pushed back with Cleveland Rising, um, and, and I fully uh, accept the, the blame for this for not reaching out in a proactive way to some leaders. Um, and I think what I learned from it was um, you can't just depend on four or five folks who represent um, a community. That you got to ask harder questions, you got to probe more, um, and you got to go above and beyond meet people where they are. Uh, and it was an important lesson in leadership for me. And it's something that I'm going to do whatever I can to get better at uh, as I embark on this movement we're trying to build uh, in 2021. 
Love it. Uh, I, I would be remiss if I wasn't saying I was happy to hear 2021. You said it uh, 20 minutes ago, and I almost <laughs> forgot we were in it. But um, <laughs> almost forgot. But it, it brings us saying it, saying it over again. I don't so know, remember, writing you know? it down. What is yeah. the day? What is the day? Yeah. Um, but it brings us to a really important point. Obviously, 2020 has been a year of reckoning for a lot of reasons, including us finally, I, I think finally, it feels different than it definitely has before, um, taking a good hard look at our past when it comes to racial relations, right? And more specifically, we looked at how African Americans are treated in this country, and they're not treated equally. And that's just the hard stop truth. Um, and if you can't admit that, I think that's the problem. And I wanted to say that earlier too, to you, like, I think step one is like the people have to admit it. If you don't admit it, then we can't go anywhere. So, right. Mm -hmm. So just fundamentally treated differently in this country. I want to ask you, what can you share about Cleveland can't wait and the initiatives you're working on to fight for social justice? Well, you know, the origin of Cleveland can't wait, um, comes from, uh, my reading of Dr. King's book, why we can't wait. And I read it at a time where, I was struggling to figure out uh, a role for me to play to solve some of these issues in our city. Um, and you know, one data point that struck out to me when I began to read Dr. King's book was the fact that our unemployment youth crisis in Cleveland is costing us about a billion dollars of lost economic productivity. And um, some of the work I did when I was at Gallup was, you know, we engaged high school students to give them the skills they needed to understand how to start and grow their own business. And so I took that model, we did a pilot program with Tri-C uh, two years ago. Um, and in that pilot program, what we did was, you know, we gave kids the ability to talk about what their strengths were, what, what are their passions, how do they view uh, entrepreneurship, you know, and, and we, we, you know, we showed them videos of Maverick, um, Maverick Carter uh, and LeBron and what they were building. And also Madam CJ Walker, uh, and she being the first black woman millionaire and understanding the importance of uh, ownership and building wealth at the neighborhood level. Um, and it was that program that taught me that, you know, we have young Einsteins crawling our streets from Dove to Huff to Clark Fulton, but they don't have the access to opportunity to live up to their God-given potential. And we got to do a better job of giving our kids and our next generation of leaders, the tools they need to grow and create their own businesses long-term. And, you know, the second thing we did is right when COVID-19 hit, I was getting a number of calls from community leaders and, and ministers as well, because they were locked out of the PPP loan process. Many of them didn't know what city or county grants to apply for as well. Um, and when we surveyed and did focus groups for these businesses, what we uncovered was many of them didn't have email accounts, Many of them didn't have digital identities to market their businesses on Facebook or Yelp or on Google Maps. And so, you know, through our work with Venture for America and the CDCs and Mount Pleasant Union Miles, we piloted what, we're called, what we call the Digital Land Initiative. Uh, right now, we're working with five businesses to give them websites and digital identities so they can so kind important. of grow so and scale important. their businesses. Yep. And it, I tell you what, Paul, it's hard work. I mean, we, we deployed street teams to go door to door. Um, and the biggest thing we uncovered was just a lack of trust. Mm. You know, these folks have been promised the moon and the stars, but no one's really ever delivered for them. Yep. And so it's an uphill battle. Uh, but I think it's that level of grassroots organizing we need to marry with very intentional public policy to solve these structural problems long term. Uh, but we still got a long way to go. 
Yep. I, I'm happy you mentioned lack of trust. Before we get to that feeling, um, yeah. I wanted to I wanted to dig deep and 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 think on something before we move on. I I um, was actually just shared this a, a couple of weeks ago, but there's a show that Emmanuel Acho does called uh, Having Uncomfortable Conversations with Black Men, and one of the episodes mm-hmm. was with Matthew McConaughey, um, and this this quote from uh, this poem from Langston Hughes came up, and it's called Let America Be America Again, which is a much better slogan uh, than the one we currently have all over our country. But uh, oh, it, the, the poem is, oh let, my ha- oh, let my land be a land where liberty is crowned with no false patriotic wreath, but opportunity is real and life is free. Equality is in the air we breathe. I love that last line. Equality mm-hmm. is in the air we breathe. And right now it is not. What, what is one audacious dream? you have for Cleveland, whether it's in a year, 20 years, or 50 years. With that in mind, what is one just absurd dream that right now, if you said it, somebody would look at you like, you're nuts. But in 50 years, somebody may look at them and say, I can't believe you thought he was nuts. Of course we were going to do this. Yeah. Tough question, I know. You know, um, my audacious dream for Cleveland, for us, is to be the best mid-sized city in America, where we have half a million people living here, where we are a model of what it looks like to eradicate child poverty. Uh, We are a model for what it looks like to uplift and prioritize black women, because now we're the worst city in America for black women. Hmm. And we are also a model in this nation for what it looks like to truly have a government that works for everybody. Not if you're well-connected, not if you're a part of the current political class, but a government that reflects my grandma, Sarah, who, deserves a voice and deserves a seat at the table, but also a government that reflects the new entrepreneur from Silicon Valley who wants to grow and start a business in Cleveland because they've been locked out. And so um, I fully believe that in, you know, in 10, 15 years, we'll look back on this moment and say 2021 was the year where Cleveland did a reset. And one day we're going to be on the cover of Time Magazine as uh, America's best mid-sized city. And all the world will take a look at Cleveland as a model for America and what a true urban renaissance looks like that prioritizes everybody, regardless of race, class, color, or creed. I love it. Um, okay, so we touched on it, you know, throughout the episode, but, uh, you know, let's jump into the uh, mayoral run, you know, and, and yeah. to be honest yeah. with you, you know, I, I don't think I'm stating anything uh, crazy, but after the last four years, I'm not sure our country has ever viewed politicians in a more negative yeah. light. Um, you mentioned yeah. the lack of trust um, all the way down to the grassroots level, right? To knocking on doors. There's just fundamentally a lack of mm-hmm. trust. Why do you want to get involved in the political moment right now? You know, um, that's a great question, Paul. I think we are in a moment where if we don't truly build a movement that shares people's hopes, their dreams, and their pain, and we find a way to truly elevate those voices and how we make government work better for the people, then I'm afraid for our future as a community. Um, and you know, we, we missed an opportunity in 2008 after the Great Recession to really maximize that economic recovery. Um, and we have an opportunity now in 2021 to truly maximize and take advantage of the coming economic recovery but we can't do that 
on an unequal base. And I believe that modernizing city government, elevating voices that have been neglected and oppressed are a key part of achieving and meeting the moment. And you know, this election in 2021, it's not about electing Justin Bibb as mayor, right? If, if, if that's the thesis, then I'm not gonna win that race. But to me, this election is about whether or not Cleveland can win the moment and whether or not we're gonna do the hard work of writing the next chapter of our story, because if we don't, if we don't, child poverty is gonna continue to increase, homicides are gonna continue to increase, and we will never be able to achieve um, our, our potential as a community. And that, 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 that dream that Langston News talks about will continue to be deferred for far too long. And that's what's at stake in this election. And that's why I'm, I'm running for, for mayor this year. You know, you, um, there was a comment you made in a press release maybe a couple months ago or a couple weeks ago. I can't remember the date, but you said people are mm -hmm. sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I, I really, I thought that spoke to the whole, everything we're talking about right now, right? Everyone yeah. is just exhausted. I, I don't think I've ever been more engaged in politics and I can't wait to not be as engaged. <laughs> I think, and, and I mean that, in, that, you know what I mean? Like I, I wake up, it's yeah. all, I read, I think I go on Twitter. It's like, it's exhausting. Right. And yeah. it's been yeah. that way for four years and I'm 31. And so I'm not this yeah. like, old, right. So I've never been that engaged ever. Right. Yeah. But I was forced to be yeah. for reasons for another podcast. <laughs> um, but to be fair, right, we've heard we've heard this from politicians before. We've heard this message from politicians before. And I think I, the, the real question is, how will you do it differently? But I also just think I don't think people realize how this system works. A lot of people can have this message and get in there and then they're shut down and, and people then look at that as he didn't do anything or she didn't do anything mm -hmm. like no no you don't understand that this is going to take much longer than a year or even four years right like so how will you try to do that differently i know that's another loaded tough question yeah it's 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 a hard question paul um i'll say this you know i've been getting a lot of inspiration from uh, uh former president obama I was lucky to intern for President Obama. He was in the U.S. Senate in 2007, 2006, rather. And um, in his book, The Promised Land, he talks about um, election night and when he won the election and how it was hard for him to be excited after he won because he knew of the challenges that were ahead. Mm -hmm. And we had to find a way to get out of Iraq and Afghanistan. We had an economy that was on the brink of uh, depression. Um, and we had a lack of trust and a lack of unity that continues to undermine the fabric of American democracy to this day. Uh, and his campaign manager, uh, I told him, aren't you excited? He's like, you know, we won. Now it's time to get to work. Yep. Um, and I think for me, as we chart this campaign, this needs to be about sharing the stories of Clevelanders, sharing our vision, but also it's important to manage expectations. Yep. Because um, a mayor can't solve all these problems. Yep. There is no one savior uh, that will solve all these problems for Cleveland. But what I think this election can do, I think it can inspire people to identify how can they individually do something different to make their neighborhoods better, right? Can I mentor more at my local public school? 
Can I serve a couple extra hours at the local food bank? Can I start a nonprofit uh, to help inner city businesses get the tools they need to thrive? And it's our job um, uh, as leaders inside city government to create the conditions for that type of collaboration, that type of unity to exist. Yep. Uh, because you know we can do all we can do to, to create systems change, but systems change alone doesn't come from City Hall, yep. right? It's gonna, it's gonna take an all hands-on approach from everybody in this community to get the trend line going in the right direction. That's, my, that's gotta be our job. Get the trend line going in the right direction and yep. get the momentum going in the right direction. And I think that's how we, how we gotta make change long term. Yep, and bring, bring that trust back and then yeah. there's a completely different feel to it. Um, okay, so this is, uh, we'll get you out of here on this, but obviously with this being a, uh, a business podcast, talk to us about the you know, Northeast Ohio and Cleveland business community. What, what are your goals um, for that community? And, and I know you mentioned it earlier in terms of that talent redistribution from New York, LA, mm -hmm. Silicon Valley, like are there any opportunities there for Cleveland? What do you see in the next five to 10 years of industry, business, all that stuff? I would say we've left a lot of opportunity on the table because of our inability to, to be unified in a shared economic development vision and strategy at the city and the county level. Hmm. Um, you know, I've been talking around town via Zoom, albeit about um, the fact that we have a lot of great conduct, a lot of great musicians playing their own sheet music, but no conductor. Hmm. And it's going to be my job to be the unifier in chief to make sure that GCP, Team Neo, Jumpstart, the Urban League, et cetera, are all coordinated in an effective way to grow our economy, to get our community back to work, and to make sure that we're driving investment to create a thriving, competitive economy right here in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio. Uh, I'd say, secondly, we've been a laggard and not a leader on a many number of different fronts as it relates to driving new investment in our city. You think about, you know, Amazon as a prime example uh, and how, um, it took us a while to get our, our, our stuff together uh, to come up with a competitive bid. Uh, you even look at the fact that Sherman was still getting a, a lot of great competitive bids from Atlanta, Dallas, Nashville, and others, right? You know, um, as mayor, I need to be as aggressive as I possibly can, talking to CEOs, talking about what they need in order to, to grow good jobs and grow investment and, and, and grow our economy. Um, and something I learned at LSE very early on is government doesn't create jobs. What government does do is create the right conditions for, for good jobs to grow and thrive in a yep. given community. And yep. that's going to be my job. You know, how, what barriers do I need to remove for, for our local business to thrive? Everybody from the large companies like Sherwin to the small neighborhood-based businesses because they need just as much help from City Hall as, this, as the large uh, corporates. And we got to make sure we have a unified strategy to do that on a long-term basis. Yep, absolutely. Um, all right, well, we covered a ton today. And uh, I lied to you. There's actually one more, but this is <laughs> um, We covered a ton, so I really appreciate it. This was fantastic. Um, yeah. But we like to have all of our guests shed a light on some other Cleveland uh, businesses. And so it's yeah. a somewhat of a two-part question. But one, what is your favorite Cleveland restaurant? Um, mm -hmm. to go to and then you can also have a favorite takeout you know since March 2020 um, since COVID happened what's your favorite what's been your go-to takeout option yeah uh, favorite takeout option has been New Jerk uh, Jamaican soul food uh, that's nice. opened up right downtown in my neighborhood 
And then I would say uh, my favorite uh, local restaurant um, uh, is Parallax in Tremont. Um, it's because it's where we saw it's, it's where we celebrated my mom's 60th birthday. We surprised her with all her friends. So it will always be a, a place with a good memory uh, celebrating my family. So love it. It's awesome. Two, two good ones. Um, where can everybody yeah. find you? Where should they be following your website, social, all that good stuff? Uh, website, uh, bibforcle.com and uh, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, also uh, bibforcle as well. So follow us there. Got it. Awesome. Well, Justin, thank you again so much, man. We really appreciate it. You know, best of luck with everything moving forward and uh, we'll talk with you soon. Thanks for having me, Paul. Best of luck this year. Take care. Now. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.